0: and all knowledge and if I have all faith with the result that I can move mountain move a mountain and have not love I'm nothing so all these gifts uh, prophecy knowledge faith still if these gifts are exercised without love without love they're not worth anything then in verse 3 and if i dole out or parcel out all my possessions all my possessions and i give my body in order that i might boast how many of your translation said, give your body to be burned, that's not what it says. In the Greek it says specifically, give it in order that I may boast. Now what's he talking about here? Most likely he is talking about the fact that that he's not going to boast about all the persecutions and all the trouble he has been through to try to proclaim the gospel. Okay? So he's not going to use what he's been through to boast. Okay? To boast and have not love, uh, I gain nothing or I profit nothing. But as I say, that word is not burned. It's specifically, I boast or I glory. Okay. So, the, the summary of this first par- paragraph would probably be that no matter what gift you have, if you're puffed up and boastful about it, whether you're a pastor, a teacher, a scholar, an evangelist, a musician, a PR expert, a counselor, a motivator, an advisor, and you can go on and on and on and exercise your gifts without love, they're not worth anything that's the sum if it's not out of love it's not worth anything okay so that's the way he starts and notice he starts with tongues now in the next paragraph um, verses 4 through 7 In those three verses, there are 15 verbs, 15 verbs, as he tries to describe what love is. Some of them are positive, and some of them are negative. So, he starts with two very important ones. Love is very long-suffering, and love is kind. Okay, the word is long-suffering. We would probably say patient. But what it's referring to is God's patience. How patient He is, He was with the children of Israel. With all their sin in the midst of their travels through the wilderness, their lack of trust in him, going after other gods, making a golden calf, grumbling about the food, not enough water, you just go down the list. And yet God was patient with them think about our lives, how patient has God been with each one of us? It never ends. Because we have all done things in our lives that we wish we hadn't, that are ashamed of, and yet God forgives and continues to bless us. So that is truly a God-given, God-given love, because God is always patient with his people, with us. He's not, another way to put it is, he's not short-tempered. If God was short-tempered, we'd be in a lot of trouble, okay? He's not short-tempered. But he is patient, long suffering with our frailties and sins. Kind, who has known the kindness of the Lord? The kindness of the Lord includes his gracious creation of all things and all that we need, his providence that takes care of us, his redemption, his son coming giving His all on the cross of Calvary. That all reflects to us how kind He is, in spite of the fact that we deserved none of it. Now we're going to get into the negatives. Okay? The first one is It's not boastful, not proud and puffed up, okay? It does not provoke or irritate evil, okay? Uh, Actually, uh, the word there, it's not boastful, Uh, And then the next word, puffed up, uh, of course, points to inflated egos, okay, uh, inflated egos. Um, and, And jealousy, okay, always want what belongs to another. You're never content with what God has given you, okay? with what God has given you. It does not provoke, okay? Does not provoke. Um, This is, uh, it doesn't act. The first one, let's go back verse five. Um, It's not boastful puffed up, but then it says it doesn't act unseemly. In other words, it's taking appropriate actions that show proper respect for others. Shows proper respect for others. Um, So, uh, there's lots here. It does not seek itself. Okay? In other words, it is not seeking to, um, it is not seeking the self, but always the edification and the building up of another. Okay? The edification and the building up of another, okay? Um, There's one word in here, actually it's translated. Uh, we we don't see the translation, but one of the words is, you don't act like a windbag, okay? You don't act like a windbag, okay? Um, and we won't... you can probably name names there. Um, but the thing is, it, it, these are all negatives, okay? Not provoked, not having an inflated ego, not behaving like a windbag, not jealous of others, patient and kind. And one of the things I used to do uh, when I preached on this at a wedding is simply take the word love out and fill in your own name. David is patient and kind. David does not envy or boast. David is not arrogant or rude. David does not insist on his own way. David is not irritable or resentful. David does not rejoice, and on and on you go. And and that'll make you just feel like a real jerk, Okay. There's no way around it. The mirror of God's lo- uh, law has just hit, okay? Because none of us are like that. And that's why this is a description of, of uh, God's love. We're not talking about human love, because we are totally incapable of this. Uh From time to time, it may show in our lives, it may show in our lives when the Holy Spirit has his way with us, but it's certainly not all the time and every day. We're not capable of this. Okay, so we go on, um, and, and, um, then there's the fact that it we. Um, let's see. It keeps no record of wrong, or it doesn't account for evil. You see, God doesn't count our evil against us, but you know as well as I do any time we're in a dispute with someone we always want to bring up everything they've ever done bad to us okay but this is you keep no record of wrong and it does not rejoice in unrighteousness okay it does not rejoice in unrighteousness but in righteousness that is in the truth. In other words, you rejoice in what builds up and what edifies, what is constructive, okay, what is constructive, not keeping a record of wrongs, okay? Now, it rejoices in the truth. And then it gives four statements that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now again here we're seeing um, That love, in the sense that it's not that believes all things doesn't mean we're gullible. It means that we are believing what God tells us and have a steadfast faith. That love believes all things, the things of God. In other words, Love is going to stand. When other things are gone, love is going to stand. Again, we apply this to realizing this is the way God loves us. He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs. He forgives them. Okay? Now... And he goes on, well let me stop there see if there' any questions. okay, if you can fill in your name in that and and think you're doing it, I want you to see me after class and we'll we'll discuss that. but now we get to verse eight love never fails. Love never fails. If there is prophecy and the Greek word there is, it's abolished. If there are tongues, they stop. There's knowledge, it's abolished. Probably That's not the best word. What we're going to be discussing here is now we only know things in part. Okay? In part. Now, does that mean that the part we know is wrong or misleading? No. What God has revealed to us now, in part, this side of heaven, is correct and the word of God. But this is saying he's going to add more. So the best word here is probably not abolished, but superseded. Okay? He's going to teach us so much more and what we've learned isn't wrong but it's going to be superseded. Okay? For now we know in part. okay, And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the part, the things we learn, the part will be superseded, okay? It's saying we just will come to know more. Now just think about it. We all have these questions we want to ask God. We're dying to ask God. All those questions will be answered. But for now, all we know is in part. We only know part of it. God's going to explain the rest of it later. The best example I've ever heard of this is, you never totally understand your life. You're living on this, you under why, why, why. It's like the bottom of a piece of embroidery. You know how ugly it is, knots, things going every which way, but we're on earth and that's what we see. When we get to heaven, we see the finished picture from the top. Then we'll know, the perfect will come, then we'll know, then we'll understand what God was doing. Okay? When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I judged or reasoned as a child. I uh, made decisions as a child. These are all imperfect verbs. That means they say, you did it over and over again, okay? It's not a one-time thing. You did it over and over again. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I used to quote that to the seminary students, because they'd go out and play intramural football and break their leg. And I'd say, when you were a child, you thought like a child, you reasoned like a child, it's time to put childish ways behind you. Okay? So, um, but that's what it's talking about. See, it's back to that part thing. Now we only know in part, like a child only knows in part. They grow in knowledge, they learn more. But when the perfect comes, then you will be a fulfilled human being. Okay? Now. Now we see, okay, in a mirror, okay, a riddle or an enigma in a mirror. Mirrors back in those days were not good mirrors. Okay, everything still looked distorted. Now of course mirrors, you are what you are. But then it was like looking into a distortion. Okay, now we see distortion. Then face to face. Now we know in part and then it says, it makes it very clear, okay. I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Okay? Fully known. Now, Then we come to the last verse. Now, faith, hope, love, these three remain. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest of these. Everybody's pondered that. But here is what is probably the best way to look at it. When you get to heaven, when the perfect comes and you know all these things, God has explained them to you. You don't need faith and hope anymore its reality. You don't have to say, I believe in God anymore, there He is. You don't have to profess your faith and hope in an unbelieving world. Faith and hope is no longer needed when you're in heaven. You're just there. It's no longer a leap of faith to believe in God because you talk to Him. But there's always the need of love because love is what it's all about. That God loved you and that you love God and one another. So it's saying that's why love is the one that is the greatest because it abides even when this world is gone. Okay? It is gone. And what Paul is saying here is, it doesn't matter what spiritual gift you have. What matters is God's love for you we love because he first loved us and everything else everything else is second rate compared to god's love to you. compared everything else is nothing compared with the fact that God loves you. Okay? Now, certainly parts of this can be applied to marriage. Part about keeping no record of wrongs, that's a big one. But the fact is that this is talking about God's perfect love for us. That's what it's talking about. And it's reminding us that everything else needs to be done out of the service or, or done with the motivation of love, beginning with the fact that God has loved you. Okay? All right, let me stop there. Yeah, bud. Well, the first, after talk about what love is and isn't, and the last third brings up this issue of, well, we don't really know everything about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's basically that he's, uh, he's trying to describe God's love to us, but then he gets to a point and says, well, you can't understand it anyway. Okay? That's kind of the logic. You can't understand it anyway. Just know God loves you. And he loves you in this way, Perfectly. No, but but that's now. You don't need faith in heaven. When you're in heaven, you don't need faith anymore, or hope. No, no. It's it's accomplished. All God's promises are fulfilled. You don't have to believe anymore that He's going to do it. It's done. It's done, David. Okay. Yes, well, okay, the Philadelphia's brotherly love, and uh, Eros is exotic or, or a base kind of love, but what's, what this is doing is holding up the standard of what God does and saying as the people of God with the holy spirit working in us this is what we strive for okay this is struck the other two are always around okay but this one is the love of God yeah all right yeah paul Yes, right, yeah, and, and I think that that's when, uh, and it's always the issue of pride, but I think what I said earlier was, when anybody in this congregation uses their spiritual gift or does their thing, and does it out of pride, and in a puffed up manner, thinking that because they do it, they're better than others, or this church can't do without them, then that's an application of this. And it could happen to anybody, a pastor, a teacher, uh, uh, anybody a lay member, if that's their motivation behind it, then um, that would be the application today. Well, we, we're going we're gonna to go back to tongues for the entire chapter of 14. God help us. And, and, uh, but we would say today that prophecy has ceased because we have the Holy Scriptures and they are sufficient. So we would say the gift of prophecy has ceased. Um, has the gift of tongues? Well... We're going to continue to describe tongues as speaking in languages, not ecstatic tongues. So what we're going to get into in 14 is, let's say um, uh, we had a guest speaker. Well, our brother from library spoke to us this morning, but you spoke in English, did you not? Uh, Speak to us, say welcome, and say a few words in your native tongue. Huh? Okay. Now, if he preached a whole sermon like that, would it edify and build us up? No, it would not. But that's a language, you see. Paul obviously had the gift of the ability to speak in different languages because he went all over the known world. It's when we began to define it as ecstatic tongue. Now, you say, is the gift of tongues still happening? That one, I'm not going to sit here and say, I know it's not, because sure as shooting, God is going to do it somewhere. Okay? But, um, prophecy, we would say. Yeah. That's my Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why don't we? And especially when those that have it usually say, we're better because we do have it. That's the problem. Yeah, Dan? No. That's right. Uh, English is a barbaric language. Um, does not have the expression, "You cannot be as articulate in English as you can in many other languages Latin, Greek uh, because they had three words for love. Well, just think about this. What about the word meat? How many spellings are that in English? How many spellings of that are there? And every spelling has a different. But the fact is, in Greek, it's a specific word. They're not the same word. So it's more expressive, okay, it's more expressive. So um, you know, we, we'll get into that, in fact, we'll get into it a little right now, we've got some time, so let's go on to 14. Okay, the word pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay. Now, this is the verse on which those that believe in ecstatic tongues, they cite this verse. Okay? They cite this verse. But it can still strictly apply to languages. But that's not really Paul's point. Paul's point is verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding encouragement and consolation the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church okay so he is saying it's better to prophesy In other words, to preach the gospel so that everybody can understand, be built up and encouraged. Now he says in verse 5, he doesn't disparage tongues. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up." That's going to be his point. Again, his audience is Corinth, and the big problem in Corinth is that there are those in the congregation who say they have the gift of tongues, and they believe that because they have it, they are better than the others. And this is the highest spiritual gift. You notice in all Paul's lists of spiritual gifts, what is always the last gift listed? Tongues. It's the last one listed when he makes a list of gifts it's the last one lifted listed because it does not edify so his point is going to be to those in corinth this is not you doing this in a public setting without an interpreter is not edifying and building up the church therefore he questioned it yes Prophesy is preaching the Word of God. Yes. That's right. We're not giving new mysteries, new revelations, but it's the preaching of the gospel that we're talking about. Yes? I, I read uh, actually a fiction of artwork static I've not heard that. I I saw that. He, He said his point was that the ecstatic tongues was a pagan practice in some of their religions. I have not read that. I have not read that. Ruth. Yeah, now let's talk talk about that for a minute because we're not talking about the fact that I went to school and learned Latin, Greek, and Hebrew and I had to study and do it. We're talking about that God gave you that gift and you knew that language immediately and could speak it and you maybe didn't even know what you were saying. The ecstatic thing is just because it's so nebulous, you can say anything you want about it. Okay. So, someone can claim, I can do this, but how can we tell? How can we tell? Yes. And that's when we get back to the whole thing of Pentecost righted the ship after the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, they could no longer understand one another. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, everybody could hear the Gospel. In their own language. So, exactly what you're saying. It is the, the human languages are mediums to proclaim the gospel. Okay. And those that claim ecstatic tongues. They not claim, they pray, they call it a private prayer language. It is not a proclamation of the gospel. Okay? Not a proclamation of the gospel. And that, of course, is the highest. And that's what Paul is saying. Prophesy. Okay? In other words, preach the gospel. That's what matters. We can go a little farther. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what you said? For you will be speaking into the air." Back to that windbag comment up in 1 Corinthians 13. Nobody will care. Does nobody understand anything you're saying? Nothing. Okay, we're going to stop there. We're going to race through chapter 14. Because all of the rest of chapter 14, except the very end, deals with the issue of tongues. Okay? So we're going to move pretty fast. Yes?